Welcome to all of you. If you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, my privilege and my honor is to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. It's been a little while since I've been able to say that. Gospel of Luke chapter 9. We will pick up where we left off in August. Luke chapter 9. Uh, As has been already mentioned, it is Mission Sunday, and that means it is day one of Missions Week. Um, Since we had the privilege of starting Cornerstone Piqua, we have every year, except one, set aside one week out of our calendar to consider God's global mission. So in your bulletin when you came in today, you would have received a little paper looks like this. It's a prayer pamphlet um, that has a number of unreached people groups that we're encouraging you to pray for each day this week. We've made it this size so that it fits nicely inside of your Bible, so you're reminded every day to pray this week for one particular unreached people group. We'll also email this little sheet out to you so you'll have a digital copy. As I said, we're back in Luke, and we're going to pick up where we left off in August, and it just so happens that we are in chapter 9, which deals with missions. I did not plan that. I'm not that clever. God just likes to do things like that now and again. So we are in Luke chapter 9. I'll read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 9. Pray for our time together and uh, ask for the Lord's help, and we'll work our way through this passage as we consider global missions. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Let's pray. Father, you give us understanding from your word and teach us about who Jesus is. Give us new glimpse into the majesty, into the glory, and the beauty, and the worth of your Son, Jesus. And may our hearts be lifted 
from the things of this world into his very courts where we will rejoice in him, learn from him, and be transformed a little bit more to be like him. Do this for his glory, we ask. Amen. On January 8th, 1956, a 28-year-old American missionary by the name of Jim Elliott, along with his four friends, was speared to death by the Akua Indians in the Amazonian jungle of Ecuador. Jim left behind a young wife and a 10-month-old daughter. He was by all accounts, a bright young man with a future ahead of him. But Jim Elliott's life was not wasted. Not in God's eyes and not in his own eyes. Jim knew that a life spent in the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter how long or how short, is never wasted. Several years before he was martyred, Jim wrote this in his journal. This has become a very famous sentence. Jim wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The goal of this sermon is twofold. I have one goal for all of you, and I have another goal for some of you. And my first goal for all of you is that I would want you to see the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ in such a compelling way that having the affections of your heart enlarged by seeing Him, your grip on the things of this life would loosen to the extent that you would give more time to praying for global missions and more money to supporting global missions. I want us all to see that resource management leveraged for the global glory of Christ in missions is not just the calling for, of a few, but it is the privilege of us all. That's goal one. Goal number two, and this is, this is for some of you. For some of you, I want you to begin taking the first steps towards being trained and equipped to sell all that you have, learn a language, cross a culture, and share the gospel to the unreached people groups of this world. So these are my goals of today's sermon. We'll work through the text before us, and then at the end, I'll provide some things that you can be praying about this week for Missions Week. So here's the big idea this morning. Jesus Christ sent from His Father to redeem His people sends his people on mission to preach his gospel 
and to heal. Jesus Christ sent from his Father to redeem a people for his Father, sends his people with his gospel to preach and to heal. So three things that we learn about mission from Luke 9. And the first is that our mission comes from our Savior. Our mission comes from Jesus, which I trust that you'll see in verses 1 and 2. That's the first thing we learn. The second thing that we learn about mission is that our provision for the mission also comes from Jesus. That the provision to do the mission comes from Jesus, which I hope you'll see in verses 3 to 6. And finally, the results of the mission also come from Jesus. How you respond to who Jesus is makes all the difference, which we'll see in the case of Herod in verses 7 to 9. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 again, where we see that mission comes from Jesus. Verses 1 to 2. And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So when it comes to mission, the Lord summons, the Lord supplies, and the Lord sends. Mission comes from Jesus. Now it's been a few minutes since we've been in Luke's gospel, so let me bring you up to speed as to where we are in the narrative. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world on a rescue mission. And moved by His mercy, and and, and in order to showcase the glory of His grace, God the Father sent God the Son into the world to give light to those who sit in darkness from their sin. And to guide the feet of hell-deserving sinners to the way of peace with God. God the Son, the infinite, the uncreated one, wrapped himself in humanity, born to a virgin named Mary, an event that we will all celebrate here in just a couple of weeks. Jesus Christ lived around 30 years in the village of Nazareth in relative obscurity. And then at the beginning of his ministry, God the Holy Spirit descended upon him and anointed him, prepared him. He sent him for the mission that he was to accomplish. Luke chapter 4, verse 43, we read, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, Jesus said. For I was sent for this very purpose. So Jesus was sent to preach the kingdom of God. And by the time we get to Luke chapter 9, Jesus is about a year and a half into his three-year-long ministry. And the first year and a half of Jesus' three-year ministry, he has done all the ministry himself. He's done all the preaching. He's done all the healing. He's done all the driving out of demons. He's done all the raising of the dead himself. And he's been drawing great crowds. And his ministry in the region called Galilee is almost done. He will soon set his face toward Jerusalem, where he will lay down his life, To save sinners from their sin. 
And to finish this mission in Galilee, to, to reach all of the remaining villages in Galilee, he commissions his 12 apostles, these men whom he has chosen as his messengers, and he sends them. He calls them to himself. He commissions them. And he sends them. Now this is new. Rather than Jesus doing the ministry himself, now Jesus will do the ministry through his people, through his messengers. In verse 1, he summons the twelve, and you read, he gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So, so the power is the ability to do something, the authority is, to right to, is the right to use that power. And Jesus gives the apostles the power and authority over demons and disease. The message that they will preach, his gospel, will be accompanied by signs and wonders showing the power of God over the forces of darkness and over the effects of sin. Now, this is, of course, before Jesus goes to the cross and dies and is raised on the third day. It is before the New Testament is written. And so the apostles will need something to authenticate the message of the kingdom. And like Christ himself, they'll have the ability and they'll have the authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick. And these signs and wonders, they're, they're signs. The Bible calls them signs. What do signs do? Signs point. They're not the point. They point to the point. And so the, the, the ability to drive out demons and to heal was given to the apostles so that they could point to the point, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. So the signs corroborate the the truth that they will preach. And you see that in the order of verse 2. It's very important there. He sent the apostles to proclaim the kingdom and to perform miracles. One takes precedent over the other. Now, miracles are important, but they're not the point. It's the proclamation of the truth that matters. So Jesus gives the apostles the same message, the same mission that he himself has received from his Father. And that's what he told him in John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And this is something fundamental to our understanding of mission. Missions didn't start here in Luke 9. Missions didn't start in Matthew chapter 28 with the Great Commission. Missions didn't start in Genesis 12 with God choosing Abraham to make a people from him. Missions started before all of that. Missions started even before Eden. Missions started before Genesis 3. Gen missions started before Genesis 1 verse 1. Missions started in the mind and heart of God before the foundation of the earth. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that God's plan of redemption began before He even created a people who would need to be redeemed. 2 Timothy 1.9 says that God had grace set aside before the ages began. Grace was given in Jesus Christ before grace was required. The point being, 
that the cross of Jesus Christ was plan A. It was not plan B. It was not a reaction to Adam's sin. God doesn't react. It was always God's plan to redeem a people for himself as a way to shine forth the glory of his grace. So global missions exist for God's global glory when hell-deserving sinners from every tribe and people and language and nation are saved by grace, united to the family of God through faith. Missions began in the mind of God in eternity past, and it continues until its fullness when Christ becomes all and the, fa- and the Father unites all things in Him. God means for His message of His grace, as we see in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, to go to all the earth. And sinners seeing the glory of Christ through the eyes of faith burst forth in praise of the sinless one who saves the lost by his glorious grace. Praise through the lips of the redeemed and worship from the lives of the saints freed from the power of sin is the goal of missions. Praise through the lips of the redeemed and lives lived free from sin. To the glory of Christ is the goal of God's global mission. This matters because when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a friend, with a loved one, with a family member, with a neighbor, you are participating in something that God has been planning and carrying out since before time began. Preaching the gospel to make disciples for the glory of Christ is not something the church does. It is the thing the church does. Making disciples and discipling disciples is central to who you are as God's people. And in God's kindness, He has baked this reality into your psyche whether you realize it or not. He connected your sense of well-being, of meaning, of purpose, to this. To making disciples and discipling disciples to the glory of Christ. Christ exalted in your heart and the life leveraged for His glory locally and globally is this is the deep and abiding sense of purpose that God has placed in you. Christian, this is what He put you on earth to do. You are in the family of God, and this is the family business. So that's the mission of God which Jesus gave to the apostles to go, to proclaim, and to heal. That's the mission. Next, the Lord gives the method of the mission in verses 3 to 6. 
So we turn there again, three to six. And Jesus said to the, the apostles, he told them, don't take anything for your journey. Don't take a staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from off your feet as a testimony against them. And then in verse 6, they obeyed. They departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus tells the apostles, on this mission trip, I want you to pack light. Take nothing. No luggage. Don't even pack food. Don't bring any money. Don't bring a debit card. Don't even bring a change of clothes. But Jesus, won't we need like a $65 million transcontinental jet to get your mission done? No, you won't. So put yourself in the apostles' shoes, or sandals, so to speak. Put yourself in their sandals hearing this from the Lord. Take nothing for your journey. I mean, some of you would hear that and start having an anxiety attack. You go on a week-long vacation trip and you bring four toothbrushes. (laughs) Just in case the first three break. You never know. And Jesus is telling these guys, I want you to lean, pack light. Like, why? Is it a sin to pack luggage on vacation or for a missions trip? No. Jesus tells them to take nothing for their journey because the Lord is teaching His messengers something about mission. That while they're on mission, they are going to have to trust Him for everything. He's telling the apostles, I have summoned you, I have supplied you with power, now I'm sending you and I promise I will support you. I will make sure that you have all that you need. And notice, how is it that he's going to make sure that they have what they need? Well, you read it in verse 4. It's coming through others. He says, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. He's telling the apostles, you're going to go into a town, you're going to preach in that town, and someone is going to receive your message, and they will let you stay in their home. That'll be your base of operations. They'll feed you. They'll supply you with a new toothbrush if yours breaks. You're going to be okay. Jesus is telling them, trust me on mission. I will make sure that you have what you need. When you preach, when you heal people, some people will receive your message. I promise you. So you won't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. Because I will make sure that some people will hear your message and receive you into their homes and take care of you, feed you. But notice he also sets their expectations because some people won't receive their message. He tells them that some people will reject your message and he doesn't want them to despair. He tells them instead, shake the dust off of your feet and move on. This was an old Jewish custom that when Jews would travel outside of the Holy Land, before returning home, they they might shake the dust off of their body so as to not bring foreign dirt into the Holy Land. And here the Lord is saying that those in Israel, in the Holy Land, who reject my message, 
have judged themselves to be outsiders to the kingdom, outsiders to the very promises of God that He gave to His people. It's a little bit like what Paul would write later in Romans 9, that not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And here is an, another really important truth about missions. That the mission comes from God. The mission is empowered by God. And the results of the mission are determined by God. That God's messengers are called to faithfully preach and to fervently pray and to trust the Lord with the fruit. So later the Apostle Paul, while he was on mission, would encounter some difficulty in his gospel ministry. And the Lord came to him in a vision and said, don't be afraid, Paul. Keep on speaking, for I have many in this city who are my people. The Lord will make sure that his word accomplishes everything that he set it out to accomplish. After all, isn't that what he promised in Isaiah 55, 11? So shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Christian, some of your proclamation of Christ will soften the heart. And some of your proclamation of Christ will harden the heart. Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. Friends, you are messengers of Jesus Christ, equipped with the same Spirit, preaching the same gospel. And like the apostles, you are called to faithful proclamation and to fervent prayer. And the fruit of your labor is in the Lord's hands. You will be accepted by some, and you will be rejected by others. And when you are rejected, move on and keep preaching. This is our approach to evangelism and to missions. Preach faithfully, pray fervently, and trust the Lord with the results. Where the Lord opens a door, walk through it, pray the Lord would make you faithful. Where the door is closed, keep going, checking a different knob. Keep moving, keep praying, keep sharing, keep preaching, keep expecting the Lord will accomplish His mission through you. The only thing you can't do is stop. The only thing you can't do is give up. Well, we saw in verse 6, the apostles were obedient to the Lord's commission. 
They departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel, healing everywhere. Having received their summons, having been supplied with power and authority, having been assured of the Lord's provision, the apostles go. Let's keep reading. Verse 7 to 9. How you respond to Jesus makes all the difference. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. It was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. Other people said that Elijah had appeared. By others that one of the old prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. This Herod is Herod Antipas. We've met him before in Luke's gospel. He ruled over Galilee for the entirety of the Lord Jesus' ministry. And is this Herod, if you remember from back in chapter 3, who imprisoned John? John the Baptist had been preaching against Herod's immoral lifestyle. And Herod throws him in the can. And then, while he's in jail, through, uh, shall we say, some rather skeezy circumstances, he chops off John's head. And now Herod has been hearing... There's another preacher preaching about the kingdom of God. And some people are saying that John the Baptist has made a comeback, which would have confused Herod and probably scared him just a little. Some people are saying it's not John the Baptist, it's Elijah. It's one of the Old Testament prophets, they're come back. Either way, it doesn't matter who it is, this is a problem for Herod, for prophets and preachers and pagan kings don't mix well. So Herod is perplexed, and he wants to see Jesus. In chapter chapter 23 of Luke's gospel, we find out the reason why Herod wants to see Jesus. He doesn't want to see Jesus because he wants to hear what he has to say. He wants to see him perform miracles. Herod isn't interested in Jesus' message. Herod isn't interested even in Jesus as the man. Herod is interested in Jesus performing for him. He'll get to see Jesus, but he's going to have to wait for another 18 months or so. Herod's example is, is a tragic example of how some people respond to the preaching of the gospel. For some, their interest in the Lord Jesus Christ, begins and ends with His utility. What can He do for me? By adding Jesus to my life, how can I improve my life? For some people, they treat God the Son as if He were some kind of insurance policy. And like with an insurance policy, you do your research... You pay your dues, make your choice, but like insurance, you don't think about it. You don't think about it at all until you need it, and then it's useful. And this is how some people treat Jesus. He's only useful in the crisis. And no matter who you are, I would encourage you to examine your own heart. Is this true for you? 
Perhaps this is your first time in church or first time in a while. Maybe you come to church all the time. No matter who you are, if Christ is not central in your life, friend, Christ is not in your life. Listen very carefully. If Jesus Christ is useful to you, if he is mostly a utility that you think about now and then, some Sundays or a couple of times a week, but overall, he doesn't have much to do with your daily life, friend, hear me, hear me clearly. You are not a Christian. You are still in your sin. Turn to him today. Confess your sin. Repent. Believe that God raised him from the dead. And you'll be saved. Take one of the Bibles from the pews and go home and read the rest of Luke 9 and come back next week. And learn more about this man, Jesus Christ who He is, what He has done. And for your own sake, I would ask you to do something very uncomfortable. After the service is over today, find one of the pastors, find anyone who took the Lord's Supper a few minutes ago, and tell them you'd like to become a Christian because you're pretty sure you're still in your sin. And I know that these are my friends. I know that they begin meeting with you, talking with you, being honest with you and helping you receive mercy and eternal life. So we'll conclude our time together this morning considering three things that I would like you to pray about this week concerning global missions. Three points of prayer for Missions Week. So along with praying through this little prayer pamphlet. Here are three things that would encourage you to be praying about this week. Number one, pray for the advance of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Pray for the advance of the gospel to the ends of the earth. If you still have your Bible open, I want to show you a section of Scripture I think is so encouraging when it comes to praying for missions. If you go to Revelation chapter 5, I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Revelation chapter 5, I don't have it on the screen. You just you can, you can listen or you can read on in, in the Bible you have. Revelation chapter 5, the scene is heaven. The subject is Jesus. And this is Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. The, the crown's in heaven. Sing a song and they say, worthy are you, speaking of Jesus, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I would direct your attention to that little word in verse 9, 4. Four. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the object and subject of worship in heaven, is worthy of praise for because he died and ransomed a people from every people and tribe and language and nation. Jesus Christ is worthy of the worship in every language and from every people. 
He redeemed a people for God from every people. A multicultural people. People who study missions, missiologists, have identified over 17,000 people groups. And of those 17,000 people groups, over 7,400 of them are considered unreached. To be unreached means that there are no indigenous Christian communities in that people group with enough numbers and resources to reach that people group. So they need help from the outside. Or to put it another way, to be unreached means you're not a Christian and you don't know anyone who knows anyone who is. And this is the living reality for over three billion people alive today. There are three billion people alive today who are not Christians, who don't know anyone who knows a Christian. And so if they wanted to go to a Christian church, they wouldn't even know who to ask. They're unreached. There are 7,400 or more of these people groups. And they are unreached because they are hard to reach. They are unreached, many of them, because they don't want to be reached. And these places where these people live are often dangerous places for Christians to minister. And we need to send people to these people groups anyway. And Christians will go to those people groups anyway. And some of those Christians will lose their lives sharing the gospel among them. Why would anyone do this? Why wouldn't we just leave them alone? Because of the word for. Because Jesus deserves their praise too. Because he has redeemed people for his Father from those people. And so we go at great risk to our own lives because Jesus deserves praise in their language, not just in ours. And so this week, please pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into those places to learn the language, to cross the culture, to share the gospel with the unreached. Some of them, when you pray, the Lord will use your prayers and he will raise up people in churches in the West and all across the world to go to the unreached and some of those people will die. But their lives will not be wasted because of the word for Number two, pray that you might join them. Pray that you might join the mission of God in the ends of the earth. 
How long has it been since you've asked the Lord whether he would have you sell everything that you own and go to the nations? Maybe it's been a little while. Maybe you've never prayed that. This week, ask the Lord, Father, would you have me get trained, get prepared to sell everything that I own, to learn a language and cross a culture and share the gospel with the unreached? This is my my conviction. I think this should be just a regular prayer that all Christians should pray. And maybe this is overstating it, and if it is, forgive me. But it seems to me, I think maybe we flip that prayer around. Instead of asking, Lord, would you have me sell everything I have and go to the nations? Flip it around. Lord, give me reasons why not to. If there are 7,000 people groups who've never heard the name of Jesus, why would I stay here? Most of you will stay here. That's not wrong. That's by God's design. But some of you, I pray, will go. So this week, begin asking the Lord, is there, is there, can I take a job in a different company that's global that possibly would relocate me in a place in the world where Christ has not been named? I, I just think that one of the things the Lord did through COVID-19 I don't know how your jobs have been affected, but I know some of your jobs have been completely affected. So many jobs have been moved to a remote kind of work. You do work from home through the internet. But it just seems to me that this is one reason, one of the things that the Lord has done to remove one obstacle for his people to go to the nations. If you can work remote, then just work remote among the nations. Would the Lord have you spend your retirement years Working, serving among the unreached. Young men, would the Lord send you to seminary to be equipped and trained to plant a church among the unreached? On the altar of God's global glory, would he have you lay down the American dream? Would he have you set aside your hope of a cushy retirement? And instead of dreaming of a vacation home or a bass boat, perhaps the Lord would have you begin dreaming about translating the Bible into one of 1,600 languages with no scripture in their native tongue. So pray for the advance of the gospel. Pray if the Lord might have you join the advance of the gospel. And then lastly, ask the Lord how you might begin to support the mission of God and the earth. This will be a really dangerous prayer. Begin asking the Lord this week, where am I holding on too tightly to the things of this life? Where might you have me loosen my grip and reallocate some resources so that I might begin to support 
financially missionaries who are working among the unreached? Are there certain comforts in your life that are competing with God's call to global mission? And where might you be able to shift some things around, live more simply, live below your means in order to give more to the advance of the gospel? Because as I said, not all of you are going to be called to the unreached. Most of you will not. And I think I have the Spirit of God in the New Testament to back that up. But some of you will. But either way, all of us are involved. It's been said, you're either going to the nations or you're sending someone who is. Those are the two jobs. You are either going to the unreached or you are sacrificially giving to support those who do. Three years after her husband was killed, Jim Elliott's remarkable wife, Elizabeth, and the other widows who lost their husbands, returned to the very same tribe that killed their husbands and shared the gospel with them. And in God's sovereign providence, some of the men who killed these ladies' husbands became Christians. And because God is God, and probably to spite the devil, some of those very Akua men began to disciple the orphan children of the men they killed. This is the kind of God you serve. This is the kind of God who writes every tribe, every language, every tongue, every people to the praise of my son. So whatever the Lord's answer to your prayers is this week, may it be in some discernible measure that the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ becomes a little bit brighter and your grip on the things of this life a little bit looser. And if it pleases the Lord, may He raise up some of our own number, missionaries, to go to the nations and to tell them about the glorious saving grace of His Son. For it is true that He is no fool who gives what He cannot keep to gain what He cannot lose. Let's pray. Lord of heaven and earth, God of the salvation of all, the one deserving of all praise, we come to you through your son, Jesus. Will you please hear us as we pray? And we confess, O oh Lord, that we have not made global missions for your global glory a focus of our lives. And sadly, Lord, I, I'm sure we think more about the temporary accoutrements of this life than the eternal rewards of the next. Please forgive us. 
Please forgive us for wastefulness, for living undisciplined, unfocused lives. Lives that sadly become about a hundred other things rather than this. And please grant to us a greater and a deeper love of Jesus. An abiding desire to see him exalted in Piqua, in Miami County, in the world. And grant that we would spend ourselves anew on the advance of the gospel in our homes, in our communities, in our city, in our country, and to the ends of the earth. This week, Lord, hear us as we pray. Soften our hearts. Protect us, Father, from digging in our heels. Send gospel-centered missionaries to the unreached. Will you send us? Will you send our children? Will you send our grandchildren? Make us a church that goes and a church that sends. And make us faithful to your gospel, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we have an assurance of pardon that we like to read at the end of every service. Today's is from Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared.